If you want to turn to 2 Timothy chapter 1, 2 Timothy chapter 1, we are in a series called, you got it, called, and uh, <laughs> just really trying to make sure you remember, um, and I, I, this is one of my life's messages. I, I, I believe, it's why we call Jesus on every street and every heart. It does not mean that we are necessarily, we are, uh, we are not necessarily just an outreach church. Sometimes we hear this Jesus on every street and every heart, and what we're actually trying to say is that we want to see Jesus in you on the streets that you go on and the hearts that you interact with, the places you go and the people you meet. And we believe that happens through the calling of your life. We believe that happens through what God has called you to and what God is shaping in you and what he has purposed you to do. And so we believe the best thing we can do is empower and equip you for what God's put in your heart to do. Amen? And, and that, that as much as serving in the church is, is such an amazing thing to do, it is not the pinnacle of what God's called you to do. And that is not to say the church serving doesn't matter. I would say serving in the church is as much a part of community where in which you find calling so that you might begin to express calling in new places. And sometimes what happens is we come in here, we go, okay, well, I've checked off that box. No, no, no. This is a place that helps shape who you are, encourage who you are, equip who you are, celebrate who you are, so that you can walk out of here even more of who you are. Amen? And so the streets you walk and the hearts you interact with, that's what this is about. So 2 Timothy chapter 1, and we're going to hang out there for a minute today in this series on calling. We started the first week, and let me just give you a little bit of a recap to catch you up. The first week we talked about that if you want a destination, you have to be willing to go through transformation. That when Jesus said, follow me, he also said, I will make you. Are you with me? If Jesus says, follow me, and I will make you. In other words, if you want to follow, you have to be willing to be formed. Because what happens in the following of Jesus is the formation of us. That our, our shaping happens in his hands, not in our own. And so if you want a destination, and this is the part that we have to wrestle with, because far too many of us are asking for a destination from God and are not willing to commit to a transformation with him. And it is in the transformation that he helps us to arrive at the destination as the person he has called us to for that time and place. And so change, calling requires change. The second week we talked last week about reflection. It says that we are made in his image and that we are to reflect him on the earth. And then the following verse, it says that you are to reflect us and reflect our likeness, right? And then he says, and give them responsibility over the earth. In other words, the greatest way we can reflect Jesus on the earth is to take responsibility of it. And responsibility is not a bad word. It is simply to say this. If you will take responsibility for it, you are able to respond to it. Far too many people blaming things and blaming people and blaming circumstances, and the only thing that does is remove you from the equation to solve it. We have to be willing to take responsibility so that we can be able to respond to what God has done. And we do actually have the ability to respond because we are made in the image of the one who created it all. Amen? All right. So today, I want to talk about being called to a passion Called to a passion. I believe Jesus followers should be some of the most passionate people on the planet. I believe that we should be some of the people that live with just the deepest sense of, of, of passion and fire and love on the inside of us. We should be people who pursue it and run with it. And, uh, and so I, I want to talk about that today. So 2 Timothy chapter 1 is, is Paul writing to a young man named Timothy who we first see uh, a little bit halfway through 
Acts, and, and Paul is writing to Timothy because Timothy has become really a spiritual son to him. He has raised up Timothy to take over a church. Timothy is leading a, a large, large church, a little bit of a different structure and layout, but a very large church in the city he is in. And so Paul is writing an encouragement to Timothy. Uh, in This is his second letter. If you don't know, that's all this means, that these are letters written by someone to someone. Uh, most of these letters are written as circumstances letters. They meant that they were going to make the circle. They were going to make the rounds with other people. Paul knew that the things he was writing was going to be seen by more than just the initial person that receives it. So, so much of our doctrine and our belief and our understanding is written into these letters and they are passed around. It's why we can still claim this today because he understood that it was not just to be written to the person who was going to initially open the letter, but that, that it was going to be then be passed around. Timothy, though, Timothy is a little bit interesting in the sense that it does have a a, a personal edge to it. It does have a little bit of like Paul's writing to a person, and it's going to obviously equip and help people, but it is like he's writing to someone he really, really, really knows. And so Paul's writing to Timothy because Timothy went with Paul on his missionary journeys. Paul's primary ministry was going into new places and setting new people to begin a new church, all right, to bring humanity back to what it was called to look like, to be people who take responsibility, to be people who love regardless, who be people who bring peace in the midst of chaos. So he's bringing this gospel, this good news of Jesus into these places, and Timothy is one of those people that walked with him, and he put him in place. Now, I, I, just a side note, for those of us who want to be mentored or discipled, because how many of you know you want the Apostle Paul discipling you? And you can do that, you can read his letters, but when you want someone to speak into your life, it is, it's important to note that Paul did not travel with Timothy. Timothy traveled with Paul. Jesus didn't travel with the disciples, and I understand you can move that, I get it, but the disciples dis traveled with who? Jesus. When we want someone to pour into our lives, we must be in proximity to theirs. We must be willing to be with them. We must be willing to walk with them. We must be willing to let them speak into our life. And, and, and Timothy understood that. Timothy's mom said, yeah, go. And so Timothy goes and starts walking with Paul, and he gets in a place where he could just watch Paul do what he did. So much of, 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 of our mentorship these days is through word. We say so many things, and it's great. It's awesome. But I tell you, some of the, 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 the discipleship Jesus did, yeah, he taught the crowds, but, man, he demonstrated to his disciples. And we need to be around people. We need to be in their life. So coffee's great, but put somebody in your car and drive with them. Right, like put somebody in your life, you gotta run an errand, bring them with you because they wanna see you on the road and how you interact with people who cut you off. They wanna see how you talk to your wife when she randomly calls you in the middle of a meeting. They wanna see your life and that's valuable and matters, amen? And so, so Timothy's with Paul. And Paul, there's definitely a sense of sonship here with Timothy. He, he has this feeling of, I want to invest in Timothy. Now, what's interesting about this is, like, Timothy is pastoring this big old church, right? Like, he's success. This is the way it's supposed to be. He's pioneering this amazing thing. This thing's happening. He's the guy. He's in charge, right? We've talked about this, that God created Adam, shape and spirit. God created the shape of Adam and then breathed the spirit of God. It is our shape 
shape, his spirit. But we understand that too many times we rely on shape and think that shape qualifies us for what God's called us to do. But it is the breath of life, the spirit of life that actually enables and animates our shape. Amen? And so we have to be in this place with him. And, and so Paul, Timothy's, he's got the stuff, but Paul writes a letter trying to speak to his spirit. Now the interesting thing is Paul, at this point, in the second letter to Timothy, how many of you know your children need more than one letter? Amen? Come on, you need more than one reminder of who you're called to be and what you're supposed to do. And so Paul writes the second letter from a dungeon. The first letter is written from prison, but a little more of like a house arrest type scenario. Uh, not that that really existed at the time, but what he's in in the second letter is like, this is it. There's a real sense that this is, it's, it's the end of the road for Paul. Like this is, this is getting to the end for him. He's run his race. He's given everything he could. And, and he's writing this letter to Timothy. And so what we're seeing here is Timothy kind of on the rise in many ways. And Paul in the middle of a dungeon. If you've ever been to the UK or you've been to any of the castles there, it, oh, it's unbelievable. Christina, who helps lead worship here, she's in Paris right now, and uh, and Will and Claire in uh, London, and and I'm really praying against jealousy and spite, and I'm just like I'm working on it. Um, but I remember walking into those places and just being awestruck uh, by the castles and the chapels, and that was the way they built it. It was built with this sense of you need to be in awe of what who God is, and and but in the castles you would walk down in the dungeons, and when we talk about dungeons, I mean it's. It's really, it's just bricks, and the water runs through, and there's a little thing for all, where you go to the restroom, and there might be a little candle, one or two, maybe if they're nice. Uh, maybe it's there just to tease you because they don't actually light it. And, and Paul is writing this letter to Timothy in the middle of a dungeon. Man, I want my life to be like Paul's, where I could be in the middle of the worst circumstance, and yet I could still champion people. In the middle of my worst moment, I can still see the best in somebody and encourage the good in someone. Amen? Come on, let's be that church. Come on, this right now in a post-Christian society is the greatest time for the church to be everything it was made and shaped to be. Everything. To be people who speak life and hope in the midst of despair and chaos. So this is the letter. I'm going to read it to you out of 2 Timothy. I'm going to read out the Amplified Translation. Uh, that just means it gives us a few words, a few extra words to help clarify the meaning. I would go on either side. If you're reading out of the NIV or whatever and you are questioning what something means, I would lean into the Amplified to get a little more wording, and then I would lead into the message to get a little less, and I would figure out through that process kind of what is trying to be said. Obviously, there's other resources. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5. Are you ready? All right. I remember your sincere and unqualified faith, the surrendering of your entire self to God in Christ with confident trust in his power, wisdom, and goodness. Man, I love that. I hope my, my faith is described like that someday. Confident trust in his power, wisdom, and goodness, so I surrendered all of myself. A faith which first lived in the heart of your grandmother, Lois, and your mother, Eunice, and I am confident it is in you as well. That is why I remind you to fan into flame the gracious gift of God, that inner fire, the special endowment, the grace which is in you through the laying on of my hands with those of the elders at your ordination. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity or cowardice or fear, but he has given us a spirit of power and of love and of sound judgment and personal discipline, abilities that result in a calm, well-balanced mind and self-control. Now, I'm going to give you the message for some of you who didn't like the extra words. That precious memory triggers another. Your honest faith and 
what a rich faith it is, handed down from your grandmother and your mother and now to you. And the special gift of ministry you received when I laid hands on you and prayed, keep that ablaze. God doesn't want us to be shy with the gifts he's given, but bold and loving and sensible. Is that good? Yo, the Bible's good. I don't know if you read it every once in a while. I, I just encourage that. It's good. You don't always need a preacher. Sometimes you just need to open your Bible and read it for yourself. Amen? Come on. Lord, I thank you for today. Lord, I pray that you do ignite a passion in us. I pray that we do fan into flame the gift you've given us. And I pray that we understand today more than ever that the gift you've given us makes us vital to the kingdom. That we are on purpose and we are made with intention. And I pray that today we would begin to live with a passion that begins to burn, not just for our life, but for those around us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I, uh, I, I am uh, a bit of an uh, extreme sports enthusiast, primarily surfing. That's the one, but as you know, we don't really live around an ocean, and so I'm relegated to watching the WSL app every once in a while when I can. Uh, but I've taken up other things, or at least I've forced my children to, and so now they are bike riders, and we go to the skate park. We were just there yesterday. It was hot, uh, but it was fun, and my boys, just so you know, are six years old and three years old. You'll see them out in the the courtyard, acting like preacher's kids, hitting everything, and, um, and, and everybody loving them anyways. I love it. Thank you all very much, um, but they're, 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 they are six and three, and so when I say my boys, we actually, my boys go to the skate park, both of them, six and three. They both ride their bikes, neither of them with training wheels, and I remember I, when it first happened, I remember taking Grayson, and I, I was with both of them, and Grayson was riding his bike. He's always kind of an early adopter to riding his bike as well, and, and Gray, uh, uh, I, one day I put him on Grayson's bike, so I put the younger one on the older one's bike, and I began to push him, thinking that it was just going to be a fun, like, I'll hold the handlebars, and I'll, right, I'll just push him along, and it'll be fun, cute, right, not like, oh, this is dangerous, like, just cute, and, uh, and then I realized that I was not needed in the equation, so I just kind of slowly began to let go of the handlebars, now, this is when he was about two, two and a half, maybe, and, uh, and he just began to ride, like, just kept riding, I let go, and he kept moving, it didn't, like, just, you know, uh, he just, like, kept going somehow, and he just, so then I realized, after I got really excited, I had to run and catch him, because his feet do not touch the ground, and so I had to run and catch him, right, and, uh, but he obviously, he had this like this gift there was something on my son that was like what is going on right now and a month after uh, he turned three years old I got this video now you'll notice I'm not actually that excited I, mean, I am I love my children and I celebrate them but I'm not like blown away because this was actually fairly normal already but this is him a month after he turned three go yeah buddy well almost what? lost it Watch him climb the wall over here. This is, uh... He kind of did. I did this the other day and got scared. And just like yeah. Gray, he has to touch every corner. He's kind of a little OCD. Um, and then one more. Here we go. And we're done. Um, I think he does this one again. And Look at that little kid, man. He's three years old. And, and, and like, barely three years old. Now, I understand not everybody can do that, and it doesn't really make him better or worse, a little better, but just not like, it's not really like, <laughs> some of y'all, like, you can, they can, your kids can use letters. Ours are sure working on that, so don't, like, it's, it's all, you know, like, like, just relax. It's all good. But, 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 I don't know. Now, here's the thing, and here's why I'm bringing this up, because there's obviously a gift. There's some, there's an ability on 
Grayson. I believe it's God-given to change the world. Uh, but it was a gift. And the only person that really ever takes him to the skate park is their dad. Now, the reason that the only one who takes him to the skate park is their dad is because when their mom takes him to the skate park, y'all already know where this is going. Before we even get out of the car, it's like, boys, slow down. Stop it. Just calm. Stop it. Don't go fast. Watch out for people. Don't, babe, there's no one on the skate park right now. Literally no one on the skate park right now. We haven't even made it, and you're already telling them to slow down. Just relax. It's going to be okay. Like, I'm more worried about Meredith when we were at the skate park than I am about my boys. I'm, on the other hand, going, come on, let's go. And the other day, oh, this is several months ago, as a three-year-old, he's still a three-year-old, uh, a guy came off the ramp. Uh, he'd just done a trick. Coming down off the ramp, Gray kind of cut into his line, and they just head first into each other. Meredith was not there for that, which I am happy about. Um, uh, and he started screaming and crying, and I was a little worried at that time that maybe I had taken this too far. Uh, uh, but I went over and got him and, and said, you all right? And within a few minutes, he was back on the bike. Because when you're younger, you don't have all the reasons for not doing something. Um, I remember talking to the skate shop owner, and he said, man, get your boys on a skateboard now because they, they, uh, they don't know why they shouldn't be doing this. Because if I were to look at some of you guys and go, hey, why don't we learn how to skateboard together, all of you would go, I don't have good enough insurance for that. You know what I mean? You understand why you should not be doing it. And my three-year-old doesn't know that. And sometimes, sometimes I think we need to get young again. Sometimes I think we need to stop worrying about the, the injuries that we got in the past so that, so that we don't short circuit or compromise on our calling in our future. Because the truth is, I could learn to skateboard now. At this, I could. But because of my fear of what is. And this is what's interesting about this letter, right? Because Meredith representing fear, not all the time, just in this illustration, and me representing faith, come on, y'all, what's up? There, that is the difference. Because the reality is that your gift and what God has graced you for will always be sitting between the fear you carry and the faith you carry. You will make a decision based upon which one is going to fuel or provide for the gift God has given. I don't know if you noticed, but Paul, when he wrote this letter, he says this. I remember your faith, so stir up or fan into flame your gift because you have not been given a spirit of fear. Faith will fan into flame your gift. Fear will suck the life right out of it. Fear will remove every, every little inkling of life that you have as a dream or a desire or grace for you. Faith, on the other hand, faith is at the core of courage. Faith is the thing that supplies courage. Because when Jesus says, take courage, he says, man, I, I take courage. Believe me, I'm here Trust me, take courage, which is a core issue. The Latin word for courage is core. It is a heart issue. Every time I pray over my boys, I pray three things, and I'm just a preacher, so that's just how it works. It is always three things. And so I pray for a full heart, I pray for a sharp mind, and I pray for a healthy body. Every night we pray those three things, a full heart, because I don't want you to know all the right things to do, but have too empty of a heart to actually try it. Because your courage comes from what fills your heart or the lack thereof. 
And if what fills your heart is belief, if what fills your heart is a passion, if what fills your heart is God is able, then you will fan into flame the gift God has given you. It's a, I, I understand it's a bit frustrating that your gift sits in the middle, a little seesaw of faith and fear, and you all understand it, uh, both at a very small level and at a large level. The dreams that you have in your heart, you have either at one point been fearful and stepped back, or you have been faith-filled and leaned in. Fear minimizes your gift. Faith maximizes it. Fear takes a seed and holds it. Faith takes a seed and plants it. Fear takes the talent and buries it, like the parable of the talents. But faith takes the seed, the talent, and invests it. Fear will convince you that everything is fatal. And faith will remind you that nothing is. And right in between those two is your gift. Right sitting in between those two extremes is the thing that God has put in your heart to do the fire, the passion, the desire of your life. And he says it because he understands that we will be wrestling. Remember, Paul's writing to the son. He's writing to someone he's poured his life into. He's writing to someone who is a young man. He's writing to someone who has taken over a large church and is pioneering a new thing. And Paul is writing to remind him, don't ever let this thing die. He's writing, and most of the rest of 2 Timothy is, is kind of the theme of, the overarching theme of endurance. And what do you need for endurance? You need a passion. When you lack passion and vision, you begin to lose what actually allows you to push through the pain and difficulty. Pain is trying to shut you down, and passion is what allows you to endure through it all. Your love and passion force. Man, when I, when I am passionate about something, I will, I will deal with all the inconveniences and all the things that I have to move out of the way to get to that one thing. You know, I, there is a game that starts in nine minutes, and I'm passionate about the Dallas Cowboys. And I'm already, yeah, well, good luck with Teddy. Uh, I'm already... I'm, I'm already, I've already figured out what I got to do to make sure it works. All this technology, I'm recording it. I shut my phone off. Do not disturb. I know it's the Dolphins. I don't care that they're playing a high school game today. I just, I'm going to see the game. And I, and I know that's a small thing, but I'm just saying to you, when you are passionate, when there's something that burns on the inside of you, when there's something, you will wake up the day, and you will not wait for the day to wake you up. You will stand up and you will go, I'm going to lean into this. I'm going to push through this. And as much as I don't want to be up at 5 a.m. in the morning to get to the workout, I'm passionate about being healthy. Or I'm passionate about whatever it is. The pain is just normal. And oftentimes neutral. So many often times we think problems are there to hurt you. Problems are simply there to solve. Problems and pain are there for you to push through whatever it is because through it you will find endurance and endurance will produce what? Hope. A confident expectation of a future. Now he says fan into flame the gift. Are you still with me? Okay, good, because I'm giving it everything I got. The gift. Now what does the gift mean? Uh, the word really there is charisma. 
I love that word. When you begin to hear that word, you go, oh, yeah, so there's some charisma to the gift that you've been given. The word actually is charisma. Now, if you understand this word, though, you understand that this isn't all necessarily based upon you, but it actually means a gift of grace, the result of grace, an undeserved benefit. In other words, God has given you something that is a grace on your life. It is a benefit to your life, and it is something that he's put in your life to be something for other people and to be something that changes the way you live. So this gift is God-given. It is so much like the disciples who said, hey, is this the time and place that everything's going to happen? And Jesus goes, don't worry about the time and place. Stop worrying about the time and place. So many of us are detailed people. We want to know all of how it's going to happen. And instead he says, don't worry about the time and place, but, but when the power comes on your life. See, I think too often as believers and as followers of Christ, too often we limit our calling to the circumstances we are in, to the time and date of which we live. I think... More often than not, and I understand that God does put particular people at a particular time for a particular purpose. I have, I have no doubt about that. Adam was one of those. that I, He put him in the garden for this reason, to cultivate what God had created. But I also believe that time and circumstance, time and place does not limit who I am when I am there. In other words, today, what I really want to get across to you is that there is a why to your life, even if you don't like the what in your life. Too many times we are trying to change the what in life. We are trying to change the job that we have. We are trying to change the situation we're in. We're trying to change all of these things. And some of those things are necessary. Some of those things need to change. But what I don't want us to begin to fall into is that because we don't like the what, we have no why. I believe that we are why people. I believe that this points to our, our why much more than it points to our what. It points to why we are who we are. That wherever I am, I can be who I am. That wherever I am, the passion that God's put in my heart. So you may not like the job you have, but are there people at the job that need you there? You may not like the place that you live, but are there neighbors on your street that need you there? Can the people on your street that you don't like be the why that you are there? Can the people that don't always treat you well be the why you are at that job? Can the why turn into something so that the what doesn't limit you? Can we be passionate people regardless of place? Can we be people no matter what street we go on, we can bring light? Do you think Jesus put a light in you that is limited by the surroundings you're in? Or do you believe the light that God has placed in your life is great enough, big enough, strong enough to shine wherever you go. And so he says, I want you to fan into flame this gift. I want, you to, I want you to work this thing out. Now the issue is what happens in verse 7. The issue is fear. For most of us, the challenge we face and the problems we have with our calling and purpose and the passion of our lives is the fear that we must face. And I have to tell you this, and this isn't like the most exciting news to deliver, uh, fear must be faced. Fear, fear is not something to be ignored. Fear is not something that be circumvented. Fear is not something that you can scoot around. Fear is not something you can fool and try to juke. It, it, fear must be faced. But what I love is that fear is not faced out of your own strength, but out of the strength that God gives you. There is a faith that fans into flame a gift so that fear has no place where you are. In fact, uh, Paul writes in 1 Timothy, uh, he writes a similar but, but just a tad different thing to Timothy. He says, command and teach these things. This is 1 Timothy 4, verse 11. Command and teach these things. Let no one despise your youth. Let no one despise your youth. 
Instead, you should be an example to the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, give your attention to public reading, exhortation, and teaching. Do not neglect the gift. Do not neglect the gift that is in you. It was given to you through prophecy. In other words, it was given to you through God, not anybody else. So don't begin to limit it because of somebody else. Practice these things. Be committed to them so that you may progress. Did you know you're allowed to progress in your calling, that you don't have to have it all figured out just yet? Pay close attention to your life and your teaching. Persevere in these things, for by doing this, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Your gift is not only for you. The Passion Translation says, and don't be intimidated. Sounds like another word for fear, doesn't it? Don't minimize this powerful gift. Vance Habner says this, if the Christian allows it, men will tone him down, steal the joy of his salvation, and reduce him to the dreary level of the general average. Let me read that again. If the Christian allows it, men will tone him down, steal the joy of his salvation, and reduce him to the dreary level of the general average. I think it is interesting that Paul doesn't write a letter to the city in which Timothy is ministering to. He writes a letter to Timothy. And instead of telling the church in that city, hey, start treating Timothy better. Hey, start loving him more. Hey, start treating him like a leader. Hey, start honoring him better. He says to Timothy, regardless of what goes on around you, stand up in the gift that you have. Stand up in what you are given because people will always try to diminish what is in you. My grandfather used to say that do not allow other people to create your world for you because they will always create it too small. Now, and that's even, that's like even good-hearted people. I'm not trying to, like, it, that's even good, like, but we want to be a church. We are a church that speaks faith and hope and love. We are a church that believes the best about people. And yet Paul doesn't address the church, he addresses Timothy, almost as though you and I have to understand that it is not up to other people to fan this flame, it is up to you and I. It is up to you and I, of course you can get around community and they should be encouraging that, but there, is, there are some things in your life that you need to be willing to fan into flame the gift that God has given you. Now I'm not much of an outdoorsy guy. I, I like the extreme sports thing, but I'm not much of the like, let's go camping. Every time we camp, it rains, and every time I go fishing, I catch nothing. So at this point in my life, I've just given up on that. But I did find out that a flame there's something called a fire triangle. Has anyone ever heard of the fire triangle? I don't know if this is real. It was on the internet. But it gave three things. Enough oxygen to sustain combustion, enough heat to raise the material to its ignition temperature, and some sort of fuel or combustible material to set it on fire. Three things to make a fire work. Three things to make it go. I think it is interesting that Jesus says, or that Paul says, you've not been given a spirit of fear, but power, love, and sound mind. So I want to hit these three things. I want to try to somehow pull some parallels from what these things are. You may disagree with where I place them, but they still exist. They're still there, and they're in the Bible, so you really can't argue. The first one, oxygen. You need enough oxygen. I would say this is discipline, sound judgment. I would say this is the everyday, regular, consistent thing. I mean, we talked about this. In Acts chapter 2, it says that suddenly a sound from heaven. Suddenly a wind showed up. But in Acts chapter 1, 14, it says that continually they were in prayer. So many of the things that we want to suddenly happen start with the things that we continually do. 
Revivals that happened suddenly started in someone's room who was continually praying with another group of people. It, was the, it is the continual thing. You cannot breathe once a day. You cannot breathe once every week. Don't try it. You, you have to breathe what? On a regular, disciplined rhythm. You have to continue to breathe. And when you stop breathing, you begin to feel it. It is not surprising to me that we have a bunch of people who are living anxiety-ridden lives, anxious, apathetic lives, not because there's nothing for them, but because they've lost the breath of God in their lungs. They've lost the fire, the passion, the oxygen of life. And some of that is because they have created a discipline of hearing from fear rather than faith. You see, we all have a liturgy in life. Some of you come from liturgical backgrounds. We all have a liturgy, whether or not we want to admit it, whether or not we want to recognize it. We all worship something, and we have patterns and ways in which we do it. So what is the liturgy of the thing you love? What is the liturgy of your life? What is the thing that's breathing into your world? What are the sound judgments that you're making? What is the calm thinking in the midst of chaos? Because fear, fear will turn your discipline into distraction. Fear will turn your discipline into indecisiveness. Fear will make you step back from something because you're not confident in it. It will distract you from what God's called you to do. Fear is often reactionary, whereas faith is proactive. The next one is this, heat. I, I, I just said this one is love. I don't know about y'all, I think that one's good, right? Like love, it's, it's, man, the things I love, I burn for, right? It's, it's love, it's the thing that always raises the temperature, right? Around some people, ah, it's a little cold. But around some people, man, it gets hot. It's like, this is awesome. Like this is something, there's something about this. And that, so the, the, the love thing is, is important. It's, it's, it's the heat that drives it. But fear will turn love into lust. Fear will turn love into something that is taking rather than giving. Fear gets you to the place where you are so concerned about how it's going to turn out and not sure about the way it turned out the last time that you begin to be a person who takes for yourself rather than gives for others. And your gift gets flipped. And now all of a sudden, instead of your calling being something that benefits people, it's actually the thing that wears people out and burdens people. Because fear has turned it into something that is more lustful than it is loving. And then the third one. The third one, hopefully you're agreeing with my parallels here. The third one, fuel, something that sets it off. Jesus told the disciples, hey, wait here because, because you, you need the power that comes from the Holy Spirit. Another word for that, dunamis, dynamite, the thing that sets it off. The problem with, um, with fear is that fear turns power into control. Fear turns power into abuse. Fear turns power into authoritarian type thinking. Fear turns it into, I've got to know what's going to happen. I've got to have this. I've got to persuade it, manipulate it. I've got to make it work the way I want to make it work. And so we lose out on God's power because we're trying to control everything that's going to happen. I mean, let's be honest. If the disciples knew what was going to happen in Acts chapter 2, you think they would have just kept, continued to stay there? I mean, that was a weird, crazy, gnarly situation, and yet they were willing to, they were willing to surrender that because they believed in what Jesus had said, and God does something in their midst. And Paul actually says, I didn't come with persuasive words, but what, with demonstrations of his power. I'm not trying to manipulate this. I simply want to surrender this, that God can ignite it and make it something that it is meant to be. Samuel Chadwick says this, men ablaze are invincible. Hell trembles when men kindle. I want to hit one word, and this is where I want to pray today. 
uh, one of the words used in the Amplified Translation. And uh, there are many uh, commentators would not tell you that, that Paul is trying to correct Timothy. They don't, he doesn't necessarily think that Timothy has lost his fire. He's just trying to remind him that to continually to fan this into flame, it was almost more of a, hey, make this a pattern. Make this a rhythm. Make this something you regularly do. Make sure that you are regularly fanning into flame the gift God has given you. Because some of you haven't thought about the gift and the dream and the grace that God's put on your life for quite some time. And God's, hey, no, you need to keep fanning this into flame. And it may not look exactly the way you want it to look just yet. One of the words that the Amplified Translations use is embers. You all know what embers are? I told you I'm not a camper, but I know what embers are. I looked it up. And... Um, and so I, I know embers are those little things at the, at the end of your fire, right? They're just the little glowing little embers, right? Just below the wood. The wood's kind of all burned up, and there's just some things remaining. And, and really, you're supposed to wait till that completely dies out before you walk away. And here's why. And I read this in the, as I was researching embers. I read this. The embers can be a sign of a fire that was or can precede a fire to come. <laughs> I love that because in the midst of what I think is dying and dead is a sign of what can live and can be on its way. In the midst of what I think is over, the embers of passion, the embers of something that used to be a dream and a passion and a desire for my life, at the, oh my goodness, at the, what looks like the end, what looks like is over and finished and done is actually the same thing that can precede and be the beginning of a new fire. I don't know, maybe, maybe that's you. And maybe you've been reading the embers like, well, that's over. I guess I'm done. I'm finished. It's over for me. And God's going, no, no, no. All I got to do is go, that thing's going to start coming back. I'm breathe on it a little bit more. A little discipline little love, a little passion to keep going in the midst of, right? A little love from people, a little, come on, just, let's just keep breathing that thing on. Let's just keep working that thing out because there is something that God's graced you with. There is something God's graced you in your life for. There is something that God has put in your heart. There is a passion and desire that God has placed on your life. There is something there. And for some of us, for far too long, we've allowed the fear to define what it is. Some of you got dreams in your heart that you just need to take a step on. Some of you have limited the what because you haven't found the why. God, I just, I just believe this with all my heart. You are called to live passionately. You are called to live with a flame, with a fire on the inside of you.